welcome to the first episode of Spartan Spirit Leadership, where we take a close look at your leaders and just how well they are looking after Western society's best interests. I'm your host, Bill Korolakis. I'm a retired senior Air Force officer, and today we're going to look at what U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin had to say about the rules-based order. As always, my aim is to focus on Western values of democracy, individual rights, and most of all, a nation-first perspective, because they are the foundation of Western societies, and I think they're worth fighting for. Today, we're going to look at what a range of leaders had to say about the rules-based order, which is something you often hear about in geopolitics. So let's start off with a bit of context regarding just what the rules-based order is. Up until World War II, the nations of our world had little to bind them in terms of laws and principles that individuals or individual nations acted by. That changed after World War II with the establishment of the United Nations and the adoption of many principles that it has since espoused, along with a recognition that the law of The Hague and the Geneva Conventions underpinned the International Criminal Court and the International Court of Justice and the way in which we manage conflict and run the world. I covered much of this in the first Spartan Spirit series, which was titled Best for the West, in episodes 5 and 13. If you want to learn more about international law, I suggest you listen to those episodes before listening to this one. These various conventions and principles provided the foundation for a rules-based global order. And after the Cold War ended, so around 1990, there was much optimism that most of the Earth's nations would abide by these rules, and it was after the Cold War that the term became popularized. However, in recent times, you see more people and nations referring to it as the liberal international order instead of the rules-based global order. That's because it was never adopted by all nations, so it was never really global in nature. And even more recently, the term liberal has been dropped because the term liberal holds political connotations in many Western nations, such as Australia and Canada, where it's a party name, and in the US, where it's associated with particular political views. So now, it's more often simply referred to as the rules-based order, and it implies that it's global. Despite the semantics... Put another way, the rules-based order is a shared commitment by some countries to conduct their activities in accordance with agreed rules, which continue to evolve over time. It's important to note at this point that the rules-based order was basically a Western invention, with the U.S. as one of its biggest proponents, along with the United Nations, most of the EU, and a few of the other wealthier nations such as Canada and Australia. Something that is often forgotten about with the rules-based order is that it also includes technical bodies that set standards on things such as civil aviation, maritime transport, intellectual property, telecommunications, agriculture, etc. However, the heyday for the rules-based order, which was just after the Cold War ended, has been waning. Not all nations abide by the rules-based order. And with the UN being somewhat hindered in its ability to enforce any such order, and let's face it, it doesn't have much ability at all, the concept is facing several challenges. So firstly, legitimacy. For a system based on rules to work, the rules have to be clear to everyone. They have to be enforced, and they must be followed by the more powerful among us. For example, 
The Russian attack on the Ukraine, which no one has done anything to stop other than the Ukrainians, is an example of the failure of the rules-based order because Russia ignored the rules and no one's enforcing the rules. Another example that some would give involves the U.S. invasion of Iraq for similar reasons. So both of these examples tarnished any claims that Russia or the U.S. might make regarding the rules-based order, particularly the U.S. because the U.S. is often cited as the defender of the rules-based order. Let's look now at equity. The rules-based order was derived from Western-inspired initiatives, such as the Law of the Hague, Geneva Conventions, World Trade Initiatives, along with stances taken by the United Nations. But both Russia and China may see this Western influence as being inequitable, and they may be keen to counter the excessive influence of the West in setting the international economic and human rights agenda. There's also complacency. One of the main problems on our planet is that the rules-based order is not applied to all situations, largely because the wealthier nations simply can't police every country, and also because some of the poorer nations or more remote nations and less populous countries don't garner the world's attention. And this detracts from the concept of the rules-based order. And finally, rising nationalism is an issue. There's been a trend in the past decade for nationalism to be favored over the global commons and globalization. This trend has resulted in some deglobalization. Two classic examples are Brexit and President Trump's pullback from the international fora. And I'll add one more issue of my own. Weak-kneed governments that don't want to upset anyone, even if that includes powerful autocratic states. Australia and Canada are two of the major culprits here. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. And these are some words that came from Australia's Foreign Minister Marissa Payne in relation to working with authoritarian regimes on technical issues. And here's a quote. We must stand up for our values and bring our influence to bear in these situations to preserve the open character of international institutions based on universal values and transparency, end quote. Well, what I got out of that was a lot of nonsensical soft talk. This was an Australian politician who was too worried about calling out China as a rogue actor in regards to negotiating over technical agreements. It was unclear language and did not establish Australia's position. In other words, it was political speak at its worst. And this from a government that was well and truly aware of the threats being posed by China in its near region. The challenges to the rules-based order are serious and require Western nations to use clear language about what the West's position is regarding the rules-based order. So, now that we know what the rules-based order is and what the threats to it are, I want to now consider what Austin Lloyd had to say about it. But just before I do that, I'll tell you a little bit about why you should care who Austin Lloyd is. Austin Lloyd is the U.S. Secretary of Defense. That would be the same as the Minister for Defense in Canada, Australia, and the U.K. He is a retired four-star U.S. Army General, and he was appointed by President Biden to be the U.S. Secretary of Defense in early 2021. The position of Secretary of Defense is pretty important in Western geopolitics because this position is responsible for a few things, such as being second in the chain of command for the entire U.S. military, second only to the president. The secretary crafts national defense policy, manages the Pentagon, and coordinates intelligence. 
And if Biden wins the 2024 U.S. presidential election, there's a good chance that Austin will continue on as the U.S. Secretary of Defense. Thus, he's a pretty important person when you consider whether to vote for Biden in the next election. Now that we know who Austin is and why what he says matters, let's hear what Austin had to say about the rules-based order when he gave a speech in early December 2023. And I'm going to run through a series of quotes here. First one. We're living through challenging times that include the major conflicts facing our fellow democracies, Israel and the Ukraine. Bullying and coercion from an increasingly assertive China and a worldwide battle between democracy and autocracy. These are the times when global security relies on American unity and American strength. American leadership rallies our allies and partners to uphold our shared security. If we forfeit our position of responsibility, our rivals and our foes will be glad to fill that vacuum. The cost of abdication has always far outweighed the cost of leadership. The world will only become more dangerous if tyrants and terrorists believe that they can get away with wholesale aggression and mass slaughter. America will only become less secure if dictators believe they can wipe a democracy off the map. And the United States will only pay a higher price if autocrats and zealots believe they can force free people to live in fear. End quote. That was a series of quotes, actually. And then he gave some specific examples. Quote, Russia's invasion of Ukraine offers a grim preview of a world of tyranny and turmoil that should make us all shudder. The People's Republic of China hopes that the United States will stumble and become isolated abroad and divided at home. End quote. And then he concluded with this. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the United States of America. It's not enough just to pursue our national interests. We must also live our national values. As President Reagan said, our foreign policy should be to show by example the greatness of our system and the strength of American ideals. We must ensure that America remains a beacon to the world. In this uncertain hour, at this time of testing, the world looks to America again. And we must not give our friends, our rivals, or our foes any reason to doubt America's resolve. End quote. Now that's what I call Spartan spirit leadership. And it's not unsurprising. He was a ranger, he was in the 82nd Airborne Division, and he commanded Central Command. The guy is a warrior. Austin laid out very clearly that the U.S. is ready to stand firm in defense of Western culture, society, and values. He's been globe-trotting with this message to bolster American allies, and he wasn't alone. Secretary of State Bilkin has also been spreading the same message to global partners, and Bilkin said, for example, the following, quote, We must defend and reform the rules-based international order, the system of laws, agreements, principles, and institutions that the world came together to build after two world wars to manage relations between states, to prevent conflict, to uphold the rights of all people. Its founding documents include the UN Charter and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which enshrine concepts like self-determination, sovereignty, the peaceful settlement of disputes. These are not Western constructs. They are reflections of the world's shared aspirations, end quote. So the two of them are both talking about the rules-based order. And here's what a few of America's allies have said since then. Japan's Prime Minister Kishida 
talked about the rules-based order when he called Russia's invasion of the Ukraine an aggression that shakes the foundation of international order. And such sentiments were also supported by the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, which reaffirmed their commitment to the rules-based order by asserting that, quote, China's stated ambitions and assertive behavior present systemic challenges to the rules-based international order, end quote. This was echoed by U.S. Secretary of State Bilkin, who said, Our purpose is not to contain China, to hold it back, or keep it down. It is to uphold this rules-based order that China is posing a challenge to, end quote. But if the need for a rules-based order was so obvious, as the U.S. is implying here, then you should ask yourself, well, what are the problems with it? So I'll give you a counter view. And this is from Professor Cellini, who wrote in The Strategist and said, Quote, an enforcement mechanism for international law is badly needed. Disputes between states will always arise. Peace demands mechanisms for resolving them fairly and effectively and reinforcing respect for existing frontiers. Yet, such a mechanism seems unlikely to emerge anytime soon. After all, China isn't alone in violating international law with impunity. Its fellow permanent members of the UN Security Council, France, Russia, the UK, and the US, have all done so. These are the very countries that the UN Charter entrusted with upholding international peace and security. Nowadays, international law is powerful against the powerless, and powerless against the powerful. I'll say that again. International law is powerful against the powerless, and powerless against the powerful. That's a good summary. He went on to say, despite tectonic shifts in the economy, geopolitics, and the environment, this seems set to remain true, with the mightiest states using international law to impose their will on their weaker counterparts while ignoring it themselves. And you can find a similar article titled The Rules-Based Global Order, Be Alert and Alarmed, which was in The Strategist and written by a retired Australian Navy Commodore, Richard Menhinnick. But I'll caution you about taking their negative view of the rules-based order. Instead, I'd like you to think of it this way. Given the lack of enforcement for the rules-based order by the United Nations, or even NATO, this leaves us in the West with little choice but to rely on the nations and organizations that have Western values, along with some muscle and capability. In other words, some of those Northwest European nations... Japan, maybe, and of course the U.S., and some other players like Australia and Canada. And this sentiment was captured well in the Ratchman Review podcast that featured Professor John Eikenberry of Princeton University, and he had a few good points which I'm going to run through now. Quote, We are entering a period where it's not just a great power rivalry. It's a contest over how the world will be organized in the decades ahead. And I think China has a different vision of order one where the U.S. and the hegemonic system, even the security system that has done so much for creating a stable order in the last decades, will be either non-existent or certainly less important. I hope those who care about liberal open order think that we need to make sure that China is disappointed and that they don't win that struggle. But it can't be America running the world. Even in the heyday of Pax Americana, it was always a consortium of powers, that's the secret, really. It's been a joint project. There have been partners and allies, and they're still cheering us on in many ways. 
the legitimacy of American power has to be tied to as wide a circle as possible of states that see underlying goals as broadly beneficial, end quote. I think those are some really powerful words. It's worth listening to that little bit again. And I hope that you now have a sense of how important Lloyd Austin's words were. You live in the West. You need the U.S. to lead a rules-based order because that is in part how we defend Western values. And you should be pushing your politicians to support that rules-based order wherever you can because the alternative is autocracy. I'll end with a little example of what I mean. In mid-December 2023, the U.S. asked Western allies to contribute to Operation Prosperity Guardian, which is the mission to protect commercial shipping in the Red Sea from Houthi attacks. Australia said no. They even had the gall to say no in the same week that the U.S. authorized the sale of three Virginia-class nuclear submarines to Australia. The really incredible point here was what Australia's defense minister, Richard Marles, gave for a reason, that Australia has to focus on the Indo-Pacific and its near region. Really? It doesn't matter if Australia is contributing to the security in the South China Sea. The fact is, the world is watching the Red Sea and perceptions matter. Australia's failure to contribute smacks of poor strategy and an abysmal understanding of the impact this could have on those nations that care about trade that flows through the Red Sea, many of whom reside in Australia's near region. And Australia's relations with those countries become a little bit more dubious because of this decision. Some of those countries are probably now looking at Australia and wondering just how committed Australia is to the rules-based order, which therefore detracts from Australia's position the next time Australia wants to quote or rely on the rules-based order. It's really, really woeful strategy. And you also need to consider that the Middle East and the Red Sea where this operation is happening is the gateway to the Indo-Pacific. Australia, of all nations, should understand how important it is to keep sea lines of communication open. And the US, Australia's ally, the defender of rules-based order, asked Australia for help. And Australia didn't come to the party to support the rules-based order. Compare this to the clearly two-faced words that came out of Prime Minister Albanese, who then only a few days later said, quote, peace must be built, preserved, defended, and upheld, end quote. Yes, Prime Minister, is that only when it suits Australia? What a joke. I hope my Australian listeners remember this when it comes to the next election. That was terrible policy from Australia, and one you should collectively be utterly ashamed of because it smacks of riding on mommy's coattails. Really terrible. Perhaps you could write to the PM's office and express your displeasure. That would be really good if you did that. Feel free to quote Lloyd Austin, particularly when it comes to what's best for the West and fighting for democracy, individual rights, and the collective good. As I said, that's real Spartan spirit leadership. Well, that's enough for the first episode. I hope you enjoyed this new format on Spartan Spirit Leadership. This podcast will be delivered every other week. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share a link with someone you know and give the podcast a rating. Thanks for listening.